So, uh, as I said just a few minutes ago, we are wrapping up our summer-long series, our study, What's in a Name? And uh, I hope that it has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me personally uh, as I've gone through that to, uh, to actually you know, preach that to you guys. Uh, it's been something that God has used powerfully in my own life, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, I have just appreciated so much rem- remembering uh, some of these names that, you know, you, you learn about, you study, especially as you're in Bible college and, and in classes of that nature. But as you go forward, like so often happens, you tend to take it for granted and you move past those things. So it's been good for me uh, as a refresher and just to be reminded of the power that is in these names and the way that each name reveals so much about the character of our great God. And so I hope that you have been encouraged by that as well. And so as we we wrap up today, um, I just pray, and I I hope you will pray as well, that God continues long after this to to use this powerfully in your life and in our lives together. Let's uh, actually pray to that end right now before we jump in. Father, thank you so much again for uh, the ability that we have to come together and to gather in the name of our Savior, who suffered and died for us, but who did not stay dead. And thank you that in your Son, uh, who is the fullness of all of your glory, we see the fullness of all that you are. And he is the manifestation and the fulfillment of every single name we have looked at in this study and all the ones that we haven't. Uh, He reveals all of it. And so we pray that uh, your Spirit would illuminate our minds and our hearts that as we study this last name today of your divine names, that we will be absolutely just supercharged with hope and with encouragement and with true and abiding joy. We pray that you would be at work in our lives, and as you're at work in our lives, may you be at work through our lives to others around us. We commit ourselves in this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, if you have kids, then your movie-watching habits and routines will automatically change, you know, from, from how you, you watched movies pre-kid to, to how you watch movies after kids, and you find that the, the movies that they watch, you end up liking just as much or more as they do. Uh, and that's especially true with some of the more recent ones that have come out over the years. Uh, who likes the Incredibles movie? Movies. There's two now. Yeah. Incredibles. They're incredible, aren't they? <laughs> uh. Yep. 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 Long weekend. Long weekend here. So, uh, The Incredibles, though. I love The Incredibles movies. And in the first Incredibles movie, um, the, the, the superhero family, they've had to kind of adapt to normal life, and they've had to just kind of go into normal routines and hang up their, their suits and everything. And there's this one scene in the movie where Mr. Incredible, he's uh, sitting in his home office or his den or whatever, and up on the wall are all the newspaper clippings of all the heroic acts that he did. And he's sitting there, and he's depressed, and he's just looking back over the glory days. And he's sad because the glory days are behind him, and he just doesn't have much purpose, and he's just wishing for those days to be back. And um, the older you get, the more that's true, don't you think? That you find yourself very easily looking back over what you 
uh, categorize as being the glory days. And the glory days are different for every person. Uh, how you define the glory days for you may be different from someone else. But the older you get with each passing decade, you just can't help it. You think about the days before, and it always looks better than it ever really was, you know? Like your mind cleans it up. And so everything is just great in the past. And uh, you tend to, to view those as your glory days. And if you're not careful, you can absolutely get discouraged and depressed as you look back, and you can forget that God's not done. He's not done. Just because days are behind you does not mean that your best days are not ahead of you with God. And if you're in Christ, Christian, the reality for you, for me, for everyone that is truly in Christ, the best days will always be ahead of us. And in our present, in the the now that we're in, God is just as good and faithful as He ever was. And He's he's always going to be that way. So um, it's with that in mind that I want to draw your attention to Ezekiel and um, particularly look with me at Ezekiel 10.18, and it's on the screen for you, Uh, Ezekiel 10.18. And the context of Ezekiel is his prophetic ministry was not an easy one. It was not a happy one. It was not one full of joy. Uh, His task was a, a hard task indeed. He had to pronounce judgment on the people of Israel, and he had a a really troubling, terrifying set of visions where he actually saw the manifestation and the appearance of the glory of God that had inhabited the temple. Think of the Holy of Holies. He actually witnessed the glory of God, the the revealed presence of God's glory leave the temple and leave the nation of Israel. And he had to go and tell people that's what's going to happen. You're going to be judged for all your wickedness. You have heard warning after warning after warning that if you do not repent, judgment will come, judgment will fall. You haven't repented. You've rejected all the warnings. Now judgment is on its way. It's going to happen. That was his job. Talk about a a, a tough audience uh, for a preacher, right? I mean, that's that's the message he had to give. And Ezekiel 10, 18 uh, is this vision. It says this in the Word of God, then the glory, that's Shekinah, the glory of the Lord moved away from the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. And we need to all remember that the temple was the center of life and identity for all of Israel. Everything they were, their whole national identity, their hope, their belief system, their economic structure, everything was tied to the temple. And everything in the temple was tied to the inhabiting glory of God. And so for that to be what Ezekiel saw, I mean, it, just, it would have wrecked him. It would have absolutely wrecked him. Then he had to go and tell everybody else about it. So this is what he saw. Um, the, the whole uh, center point of the way of life for Israel now just suddenly gone and changed, just like that. Ezekiel eleven twenty three continues this, this vision, and it says this, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, from Jerusalem, 
and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. That mountain is the Mount of Olives. Does that sound familiar? It should. Mount of Olives figures very prominently throughout uh, biblical history. And the Mount of Olives is actually where Jesus, who is, by the way, the radiance of God's glory, the radiance of the Father's glory, it's where Jesus ascended back to heaven after he rose from the dead. And it's that same mountain that he will return to and physically, literally set his foot on. So that's the mountain that Ezekiel saw in this vision of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple, leaving Jerusalem, and just kind of hovering on this mountain. I find that very significant and interesting, and the fact that it points to so much of what will still happen. But can you just, I mean, just think about the tragedy that Ezekiel was dealing with at this point. I mean, he's a prophet of God. He's the servant of God. He has uh, been a proclaimer of, of God's character. He's been trying to get Israel to go back to God's glory. That's, that's his, been his whole um, endeavor throughout his ministry is, hey, turn back to the glory of God. Turn away from your sin and turn back to the glory of God. Forsake and reject sin and the the darkness of your sin and embrace the light of God's glory. That's been his whole challenge. And that's something that, by the way, we need to continually strive to as well. That needs to be what we pursue as well. We need to constantly be people, church, that turn away from and reject all that veils, as it were, the glory of God in our lives. We need to constantly be rejecting sin in every form because it will always be what conceals in our minds just how great the glory of God is. So we need to be constantly pursuing His glory, rejecting all that is opposite of His glory. That's what Ezekiel's whole point was. And so imagine all of that work, all that effort, pouring his heart into his ministry to try to get Israel to repent. They don't do it. They reject him. They've rejected every other prophet before him. And now his vision that God gives him is not one of immediate, instant hope and, and joy and restoration. He, he's not going to see before him a vision of, of Israel returning in the here and now. Instead, his vision of the here and now is of the glory of God departing. Just the heaviness that must have been in his heart. But, but that wasn't the end of the story. It was not the end of the story. And as he always does, always, God promised restoration and redemption. It may not be at the timing that Ezekiel wanted it to be. It may have not been according to his timetable and his preference, and certainly it wasn't. And often that's the case, that God doesn't work on our schedule. You know, that's just how it is. That's the reality that we have to come to terms with. But that does not mean that God is not at work. And it does not mean that he does not always have a perfect plan, because he does, always has a perfect plan. And just as is the case throughout our lives and throughout our personal history, that was the case here. God did, in fact, have a plan, and he gave a promise of restoration and redemption. Ezekiel was shown another vision, and this vision was of a brand new city, a heavenly city. 
And it's a place where the glory of God would actually be more on display than ever before. I mean, it, it was it was such a vision and such a picture of God's permanent glory that no matter how great the temple was, it, it didn't even compare to what Ezekiel would see. The glory of God on display more than ever. And this time, the glory of God would never, ever be taken away. That's the vision that he saw uh, after this, this first very uh, doom and gloom, literally, vision that he saw. Thankfully, he saw this other amazing, wonderful vision as well. And I want to invite you to look at Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. And again, this is going to be on the screen for you. And this vision and what he sees is actually one of the New Jerusalem. And this is by no means um, the only part of the book of Ezekiel and of his prophetic vision that he saw. In fact, it took nine chapters. It takes nine chapters to describe the, the vastness of this new city. Nine chapters long to describe the new Jerusalem, which is what he was shown. I just want to highlight this one verse uh, for obvious reasons as, uh, that you will see as we read this. Um, here's what it says. The perimeter of the city, the city of the new Jerusalem, while it's not named that, it certainly is that, the perimeter of the city will be six miles. So the distance around the city is six miles long. And the name of the city from that day on will be the Lord, Yahweh, is there. The Lord is there. And that, my friends, is the divine name that we're going to be looking at today. It's the last name in our study. It's Yahweh Shema. Yahweh Shema. And it means literally, the Lord is there. That's what he saw. That's the name given to this city that Ezekiel saw in his second vision to really replace the vision that he saw the first time, um, not that it wouldn't happen, it, it did happen, but it really superseded the first vision. And it's a good thing, because had the first vision been all that he saw, then that would have caused him to remain in quite a bit of despair for sure, because that would have been it. The glory of God leaves, and that's it. But that wasn't it. That wasn't the end of it. And he saw a place far off, a future reality where God's glory would not only return, but it would be more on display than ever, and it would never, ever leave. Yahweh Shema. This is absolutely the most unique name in all the names that we've studied uh, because it's actually applied to a place, to a specific place, not specifically directly applied to God. But it's given the name Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there, because God will dwell in it. He actually will take up residence in this new city. He'll be there. He'll literally live in this city. He'll dwell in it. And the place, the place Yahweh Shema, is completely connected to the God who has that name because He is the one that gives this place its permanence and its perfection. If God were not there in this specific, very unique location, then it would be just another place. It would be just another city. And it might be spectacular. It might be prominent. 
but it certainly would not be permanent and it wouldn't be perfect unless God were the one that inhabited it. So it's God who gives this place, this new city that Ezekiel saw, which was in fact the new Jerusalem. He's the one that gives it its permanence and its perfection. So with that in mind, taking what Ezekiel saw, this this new heavenly city coming down uh, where God would actually be, I want to jump all the way through the Bible, all the way to the end, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. And in this passage that we're going to look at, you're going to see that it very much was the new Jerusalem, the future and final dwelling place of God with his people uh, that is prophesied by the Apostle John that is going to be a future reality. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, is what we'll look at first. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Here's the Apostle John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. What a day that will be. Verse 22 of Revelation chapter 21 says this, I did not see a temple in it, in this new holy city where crying will be no more, where death will be no more, where grief and pain have all passed away. I did not see a temple in it. Why? Because... The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ, are its temple. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's the temple. There's no need for a structure. There's no need for a system of temple worship anymore because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are at the center of this new city and they have always been the goal that God has for temple worship and temple activity. And if since they're there in all of their splendor and all of their glory and all of their might and all of their perfection and because we who are in Christ will also be perfect, no barrier needed whatsoever, there will be no need for any physical temple because they will be the temple. It's incredible. And what that, what that tells me, church, as I read this and as I see this, is that it, this reality, this future reality, truly should 
make everything we go through and experience and endure in the here and the now, up until that point, it makes it all worth it. There's an old, old song that I, I grew up singing and, and hearing, and, and the words are, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And it's very easy to sing something like that, but it's very difficult to live consistently like we really believe it. Because life gets us down. Life is discouraging. Life is hard. Life is full of trials. Life is full of stress in, in a thousand different ways and to a thousand different levels. Life is anxiety-inducing. Life is, is panic potential, you know? Life is full of pain. Life is full of tears. Life is full of death. And so it's hard to sometimes have that mindset and that focus that everything we experience, not just the good things, but the hard things as well, will truly be worth it all in light of what awaits us. But I just want to remind you today, Christian, it is going to be worth it all. It's why Paul said uh, in Romans, he said, I I consider all the grief and all the affliction and all the agony and all the pain of this life to not even compare, not even register on the scale of eternity when you view what awaits us in glory. I just want to remind you that that is true, and I I hope that is true of you today and true of your heart, and, and maybe you needed that reminder as you came in with all that you've been going through, but it will be worth it all. And here's the other thing I want to remind you of and encourage you with. Um, You know, we think about heaven. Hopefully you think about it at some point as a believer. Hopefully that enters your mind in some way through the day and through your life. Um, But when we think about heaven, so many times, um, if we're honest, our thinking of heaven and our longing for heaven and what we're looking forward to in heaven, if we're honest, isn't always the fact that we're going to be with God, the fact that we're going to see Jesus face to face like we sang earlier this morning. If we're honest, a lot of the times what fills our heart with joy and hope as we think about heaven is being reunited with our loved ones. It's being absent of pain. It's being absent of sickness. It's being absent of the weakness of our, of our body. It's not having to pay taxes anymore. It's not having to worry about who we're going to vote for and wading through all that political mess. It's being rid of COVID-19 or 20 or 21 or whatever else numbers are assigned to COVID and whatever happens after COVID. It, you know, it's, it's the absence of the difficult. That's what often fills our mind and our heart with the joy of heaven, right? I mean, if we're honest, it's not as much as it should be in regard to being with God, and that's, that's enough. And I'm I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong to be looking forward to or to, to be happy about. By no means. Uh, my, my precious mother is there. She's, she's there with the Lord, and, and I cannot wait to be reunited with her. Um, man, uh, I cannot wait to be separated from all of the agonies of life in this world. But here's what I want to 
challenge you with and encourage you with. The presence of God is what makes heaven so heavenly. That's, that's what makes heaven heaven. The presence and reality of God. And it's so much so that if, if you took all the good things in heaven, and there's a lot of good things in heaven, but if you took all the good things in heaven and, and you took God out of that picture, nothing would be truly good anymore. And the sign over the gate would have to be changed. It would no longer be able to be called heaven. Actually, it would have to be called hell. Because what makes hell, hell, isn't the fire of the torment. It's not even the darkness. What makes hell, hell, is the complete and eternal absence of God and His glory. So, take all the great splendor of heaven, the streets of gold and everything, and you take that, and you, if you focused on that, and God's not in that picture, in the center of that picture, then it's not really heaven. We need to remember that. The other thing that this passage shows us, and I want to remind you about, and maybe even cause you to think about for the first time, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but it's, it's the truth, it's reality, that heaven won't be somewhere up there. It won't be that. It will actually come down to us. Much like God did in Jesus. John 1.14 says, we, the, the Word, the, the eternal Word that existed for all of eternity as God, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt, literally that's tabernacled among us, and we beheld, we gazed at His glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heaven came down to us. The Word the eternal one, the, the center and glory of heaven came down to us. And God, if you really, if you really think about it, He's been constantly coming down to us ever since Christ. Um, because when Christ went back to heaven, remember what He told His disciples? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to, this is not it. I might be literally leaving you physically, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you another of the same kind as I am. I'm going to give you another comforter, and he's going to be with you, and I will be in you through him. So God had still came down even though Jesus went back, and heaven is going to do the same thing. Heaven is going to come down to where we are. We, we just saw that in Revelation, that the, the heavenly, the holy city, New Jerusalem, is going to come down on a new earth, a literal earth, and God is going to dwell with us. We're not going to come up to some ethereal, you know, mystic existence beyond the, the galaxy and beyond the universe. No, God and His heaven is going to come down to us, and we're going to be in that with Him. So heaven will come down to us. Isn't that an amazing thought? And the other thing I want to point out um, about this, this name, 
Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. And, and as it relates to the new heavens and the new, the new earth and new Jerusalem and, and what we define as heaven, that eternal existence, uh, at the end of all the ages, that it will be absolutely a literal physical existence on a literal physical earth with this new heavenly city called the new Jerusalem. Um, something about all of that reality is this. The Lord is there, this name, this divine name, Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there, is not just in the hereafter. He's with us in the here and now. We don't have to wait for this far-off future event, which is going to happen. It's an absolute reality. It's a done deal. It's a guarantee. But we don't have to wait for the hereafter to experience the Lord who is there. He's with us right now in the here and now. The Lord who is there is not just there in the sense of the, the new Jerusalem. He's not just there in the sense of, of this new reality that awaits us. He's there in the sense that He is there for you and for me here and now. He's there for us. That's why the Bible says, cast all your cares. Cast all your anxieties on Him. Because He cares for you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to Me, come to Me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you in the present rest. Rest. So the Lord is there, is with us in the here and now, not just in the hereafter. And that is a glorious thought. Glorious thought. John 14, 21 through 23 lets us know how true that is, that He is with us in the here and now. All who are with Him, all who know Him, can be assured of the fact that He, your Savior, is with you right where you're at. John 14, 21 through 23 says this. This is right before Jesus is getting ready to, you know, to go to the cross and, uh, and ultimately to return to heaven. He says this. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So we say that we love Jesus, right? That's what we say as Christians, and we want to be known as people who love the Lord Jesus. But Jesus himself says, okay, if you really love me, you're going to keep my commands. You're going to keep and fulfill and carry out and live out my word. And so that's a very important thing for us to remember. Uh, That's the distinguishing mark for the believer. That's the distinguishing mark of one who really loves the Savior. They're going to obey the Savior. He says, uh, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. And church, it's also important to note here, this uh, revealing of Jesus to his followers, that's not a one-and-done type thing. This is continual. Jesus is saying, those that are in me, those that keep my commands and show that they love me, that they're mine, I'm going to continually, personally reveal myself to them. What an amazing thought that is, that we can walk with and know the Lord Jesus every single moment, every day. And then verse 22 Judas, not Iscariot, you have to love the way Scripture uh, focuses on details and make sure that we understand uh, accurately what's going on here. This is not the betrayer. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, 
how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? It's as if he's saying, well, why don't you just reveal yourself in the same way to everybody, all of humanity? And Jesus answered, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's a repeating of what he said in verse 21. That's how you know you're part of Christ. The unbeliever cannot and will not keep the Lord's word. It's just not going to happen. And so Jesus is going to reveal himself to those that are truly his, those who truly, consistently live out and obey his word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And this part is just so, so great. And we, divine Father, divine Son, we will come to him and make our home with him. What a thought. What an amazing, incredible thought that the eternal God, God the Father and God the Son, love you, believer, enough to not just save you, not just to adopt you into their family, but to come to you and to dwell, to abide with you, to go through and do life with you. See, this is what's wrapped up in this amazing divine name, Yahweh Shema. It's not just that He is the God who is there in the sense of that far-off reality. That's true. He will be there in that great heavenly city, the new Jerusalem that comes down and all that comes with that. But it's that He is the God who is there for you in the here and now. That's the amazing reality that, that is conveyed here, that though we have no way of deserving it, that God Almighty and His Son Jesus, the one who makes it possible to know God, wants to come and be with you. And church, like all the other divine names that we have studied all summer long, Jesus here, like before, completely fulfills all the promises and all the power that is wrapped up in this last name, Yahweh Shema. And the reason that he does that, the reason he fulfills all of that, is because he uniquely is always Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just something that we should talk about at Christmas. It's not something that's a Christmas name only. It's what is always true of Jesus. He is always Emmanuel. He is always the full revelation of all that God is, and he is always with us. He's not just the God or the Lord who is there. He is the God and the Lord who is there for you now, in the here and now. And that is a glorious, glorious thought. And the reason that he is able to always be here is because he went to the cross. So when you look at the cross, in your mind's eye and in your heart, you should see him there, Yahweh Shema, the Lord who is there on the cross, suffering for your sins, making it possible to know him, making it possible, possible for him to be with you every moment, right here, right now. Isn't that awesome? Praise be to him. There is no God like the God we have. There is no life like the Christian life. And may that fill all of us with an unaltered hope and just an absolute concrete joy and confidence no matter what comes our way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, 
I thank you for your word. I thank you for showing us in your word all that you are. Uh, Thank you for this study that we've had all summer long, that we've concluded now today uh, with this amazing name, Yahweh Shema. And thank you for, in each of these names we've looked at, showing us just a glimpse, but a powerful glimpse of who and what you are, what your character is like, and what you want us to see in you as revealed in these names. May we be mindful of of these names and the attributes they reveal long after this series is done. May we come to you in prayer and praying these names to you, uh, invoking these names and, and what they represent and reveal. Father, I thank you for being, always being, the God that we have studied throughout this series. And there's so much more of you to know and to learn. And I thank you that you are with us as we do that. Thank you for the cross and for making it possible to know you, the God that we've come to know hopefully a little bit better through this study. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.